Malcolm Holmline is with us. We will Bezrat Hashem, because I'm, I'm expected to be back Thursday night, so we will Bezrat Hashem um, uh, regroup next week as well and do an Erev Shabbos Chanukah edition of the uh, weekly update. I think, as I said earlier, I think only the last Friday of December uh, will be the only uh, week that we're off uh, this month. Other than that, looks like we're on schedule. Well, a little bit off schedule now because I'm so late, and I apologize. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. Uh, Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, good morning, Nachum. Or sh- should I say it in French? Yes. Bonjour. Bonjour to you as well. <laughs> I knew there'd be at least one expression I would learn before the trip. Uh, tomorrow night, tell our audience where they can see you and hear you tomorrow night. At the Beth Torah on uh, Ocean Parkway at 8.30 p.m. Have we decided on a topic yet? Uh, by tomorrow night. <laughs> you Usually around then is when it happens. Listen, who knows what will happen between now and then, given the pace of events these days. You can't... You know, Malcolm... No, nothing's predictable. And of course... And that, those who are in Miami can hear me on Tuesday night. And, and of course, night. and of course, now, completely has changed... You have completely changed the direction of how I wanted to start this conversation. I'll get back to my way in a minute, but you just brought up something. I just read an article online of an American, I don't remember in what city, and she drops her son off in a public high school every day, and all she does is look over her shoulder, wonder if her son is going to come home alive. Very similar stories, of course, to what our brothers and sisters in Israel go through on a regular basis. I'm not discounting that at all. But now, especially with what happened this week, and I know you're referring, obviously, to San Bernardino and those types of episodes, if you get back to your home safely these days, no matter where you are, New York, Paris, Jerusalem or anywhere else, you are a lucky person, and I'm sure that's what you were alluding to. I, it certainly, it's it's um, you know a worldwide epidemic, and the world is still not ready to confront it. And the you know while it's becoming inevitable because people will demand it more and more, the the fact is that we are still not taking the steps necessary, and the situation in Syria is going to continue to breed an outflow of people. The uh, safe zones are not being created, which might be a a temporary buffer. We are um, not utilizing the kind of intelligence and expertise that that they should. Uh, I think the NYPD deserves a lot of credit because they have been always way ahead of the curve on this and, and devote resources around the world and here to try and protect the people in this area. Others, there are other police forces as well that have been uh, very effective. I think DHS is trying now to really uh, utilize the resources. But, you know, when you can't predict where it will come from, when, like in Israel, it can pop up anywhere at any time. So what you can do is go after the sources, and that means greater restrictions on the Internet and monitoring them and... and uh, Moving preemptively where where uh, ever possible and legal to to go after those who incite and to go after those who help those who incite who aid them who abet them who provide weapons who 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 uh, give financial support in this case Abbas himself and the whole PA infrastructure is used to incite yeah. and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck when I ask this but you know there are a lot of people who you know refer to genie out of a bottle at this point in a conversation like this I mean is it doable now is there are the internet restrictions still you know do we have enough time to implement those and the financial sources to be cut off is there is, is there still a possibility that it could be done in a very effective manner 
Yes. Well, it doesn't mean you're going to prevent every act. That's not possible. But you can do a lot to attack the infrastructure to make the price so high. I think Israel's reaction today, not waiting around to see whether the guy's going to shoot another person, but to take the action to immobilize those who engage in these kind of attacks, I think it's really the response. They have to see that there's a real price to pay. Yeah. And when the, you know people criticize Israel for demolishing a house, how, how many human lives is that worth? And if, if an attacker understands that his family will pay a price, that the, you know, the uh, 72 versions are going to be offset by the demolition of the house by, uh, by real punishment, and, um, and it's up to authority figures. Every society has haters. The way you judge it is how do you deal with those haters? How, what kind of determination do we show? And if you know, we let those who are behind it in Iran today Look at what's happened this week, how we're dealing with them, going to get a buy. We know that they're lying. We know that the the infrastructure, even according to the report, uh, was active, the nuclear infrastructure, um, active until 2009 and not 2003. And yet we see saying, well, the report is conclusive enough for us to move forward. Why? There should be demands. If uh, Iran understands the price that it will pay, that if they continue to support terrorism in South America, in Africa, in Asia, let alone all the terrible things they're doing in the Middle East. It's like a, a, a an epidemic of denial, both from world leaders and the media. By the way, the California episode is a perfect example because we see the type of orientation these people had, these murderers, and where they came from and what their influences were. And, and it's hard to get anybody, a government official or the media, to just say it. And, and I will tell you that, that the labeling issue in Europe and the whole BDS movement in Europe, in the United States, we're growing and it's, uh, gaining acceptance in, in circles. You saw the uh, Women's Studies Association voted 600 to something to, uh, to 85 or something like that, margin like that. The American Anthropological Association voted 1,000 to 100, the, and we'll bring it now before their full body to boycott Israeli academic institutions. Israeli academic institutions, as if this is a legitimate way of, of their involvement, even though it may well violate their, their charters and mandates. But you, this week, Greece, Germany, and Hungary all said they will not abide by the EU law on labeling products from the West Bank. And those countries should hear from us. They should let us, we should let them know that we appreciate uh, standing up for it, for it in the way that they have. And when countries stood up for us in the U.N., they have to hear from us, and we have to show them appreciation and let the others know, those who do business there, those who have uh, relationships there. Your office must spend a lot of time on that, by the way, just being in touch with leaders of countries and ambassadors, etc., that have made positive moves toward Israel. We do, because very rarely do people show the appreciation. We we're quick to criticize, rightfully, but you also have to encourage and show support. And, and Israel, by the way, is very good at it. You've seen now how the relationship with India, the relationship with Korea, five times the trade of five years ago, or six times the trade. India expanding in every area its relationship uh, with Israel. And then the opening in the UAE of, a, of an office, which is not a diplomatic office, and it's uh, misreported in some of the press, but the very fact that there's now a formal presence at an IRENA, which is um, the Renewable Energy Agency of the United Nations, 
and you know they were quick to point out this is uh, not a change in policy, but it is a change, and we should recognize it. No question about it. Um, so now back to this: what happened this week in California? Uh, we know there's a lack of desire to identify the background of the killers. Um, I, I, I'd have to assume that more and more people, as they continue to leave Syria and other places, and I want to discuss with you if, if Syria is the, the, the major concern or not, as they continue to do that and become influenced by people, whether it be over the Internet or live and in person, uh, the radicalization, the uh, desire to kill the influence of ISIS, where we know the you know the the treacherous murders are now commonplace, so people are more immune to it and are numb to it practically. I mean, are we are we just going to expect at this point that these types of attacks are going to escalate in our own country here? They are, and and that is really the bottom line. They are, and uh, there are various kinds. Somebody pointed out that it comes to an average of one a day where you have a some sort of a mass shooting, mass incident. And the, there has to be a really serious uh, approach. And there are now new tactics and techniques that are available for surveying the Internet to seeing where there's signs, to uh, alerting local leaders, community schools, others to what signs to look for, how to, to tell when something appears to be brewing. But I think in many of these cases you would not know. And you by, would not be able to tell. And by the way, the act. We, and we've spoken about this so many times about you know terrorism having an address. In fact, in the '90s, that was your one of your you know most popular slogans because we were drifting away from terrorism having an address you could attack to these random acts and people around the world. Obviously, more in the Middle East at that time attacking. Um, is Syria then the address? You know, for those of us who are frustrated that that nobody seems to know exactly where ISIS is or where the bases are, but but now the military actions being taken by the United States by European countries, it seems that in fact that is the hub of activity. Does this discount what's going on in Iran, Iraq, and other countries? Is is Syria the hub of ISIS at this point? So there are two. There you've asked a lot of questions in this. Uh, each of which is very important to understand where we are and why we got to where we are. And it's not just ISIS. ISIS is one factor in this, a very serious one, one that we did not take seriously when we first learned and, and uh, warned about the growth of the foreign fighters, etc. It was not taken seriously. And law enforcement in Europe and here did not do what they should have done then, and when we got reports from in Syria, inside Syria, and started sharing it and alerting, and people didn't get it or didn't want to get it. Now we have a huge problem of thousands of of fighters, foreign fighters, who can travel because they have the passports, who get trained, who are are going to come back as killers, and the use of the internet. But ISIS is one part. I would say that ISIS is an international uh, operation. They have people in different countries. Now they've built up a base, for instance, in Libya, on the coast of the Mediterranean. They, they moved from about 50 now to about 5,000 fighters in a city called Sirte, S-I-R-T-E, I believe. Uh, and what's, what's significant about this is that, A, it has access to, to generating oil revenue. It becomes a place to play in and uh, terrorism. But it's on a coast that's closest to Europe, so you have a, a base, another base where Libya taking adva- uh, in Libya taking advantage of a chaotic situation, 
where you don't have controls, where the government has collapsed, to, to operate. But Iran is still the major problem. It's more important than the Syrian problem. It's a bigger base of operation than the others. Look at the, at the funding for Hezbollah. Hezbollah is going through some difficult times now, thank God. They've lost a lot of leadership, the, the uh, deaths in Syria. By the way, of all, ISIS, they estimate, has lost 23,000 fighters in, in uh, Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, they get a constant supply, but the resupply is not anywhere near what it used to be. They're down to 50, 60 new recruits a month, according to some, uh, some reports. That uh, and in this, in the essence, they're saying now carry out your attacks at home, do what you have to do there. But they're not getting people coming into Syria in the same way that and waves that uh, they did before. So if you but, were, I mean, I'm sorry, go ahead. But I, I just want to say that Iran is getting overlooked now with the uh, right. focus on ISIS. It's right. not that ISIS isn't important; it is, and we should this, do everything, this, eradicate them, <laughs> do what you have to do to to take care of. The ISIS thing, but if you don't understand, the core still remains Iran. This is if the Iran. O- we're out of this situation. They would not, you know, the fighting in Syria, the fighting in all these places would change. Hamas this week, you know, that they found a metal, an iron tunnel. The walls are like forty centimeters thick. Where to where? The first time, pardon me. Where to where? This tunnel was oh, going. Uh, uh, Gaza to Egypt. The Egyptians found it. Mm-hmm. One of seventeen tunnels in a certain network that they found and you know that they already destroyed 15 1800 tunnels they flood them they destroy them and they constantly look for them but now they found a metal one which is a huge uh, um, operation to build you know these sand tunnels they put up boards that go in they build them they know how to do it quickly they cement the walls here you had to move all of this metal and to to build this infrastructure for for a tunnel, which was meant to resist then the bombings and the attacks that that uh, the Egyptians have launched against them, and it can't be possible. None of this would happen with Hamas were they not to get the funds. And Iran is increasingly the source of funds for uh, for so many of these operations. Mm-hmm. So the same way that uh, the uh, focus on the nuclearization of Iran. Uh, took away from the, you know, distracted us from what was happening in North Korea. So now, because everyone's so focused on ISIS and the military from all these countries are heading to Syria to try to eradicate them, Iran, which is the real problem, is getting a free pass. Iran just got the S-300 from Russia, and uh, the Syrians got the S-400. I mean, Russia put the S-400. It's expanding its base of operation. It is not a threat. I think, to, to the region, but it's an indicator of the, the complete collapse of the system that Russia, which is taking advantage of it, opened two new, uh, has now four forward operating military bases, two air bases, opened a new one, and Iran is putting a squadron of planes there. Now, you understand for Israel, this is a very serious issue because Israel flies to take out uh, armed shipments that are going to to um, Hezbollah was flying this week in Syria and took out a something probably a convoy. Uh, but now with Iran having its own planes in the region, you, you saw what happened between Turkey and Russia. Just think of what the implications of this would be. And Iran has lost about seventy of its uh, uh, people in in Syria. In Syria, but it includes a lot of officers. <clears throat> and the bigger the presence, the more likelihood that you're going to have uh, 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 Iranian casualties. The um, so the, the, your question 
goes to the core of what where you apply resources, how do you deal with it, and the answer is that you have to be ready to do both, but the failure, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about the Iran deal and what it means, but the failure to stand up this week and to appear to again capitulate is, again, it only encourages yeah. and will foster more terrorism, more violence, and at a higher level. Yeah, no question. Way behind here. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM Dow Broadcasting Live. From the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Erev Shabbos, Hanukkah Sunday night, candle lighting at 4.09. We start saying the same Talamutter tomorrow. Um, Paris Unity Initiative, the uh, Jewish Unity Initiative, I should say, heads to Paris starting on Sunday. Monday and Tuesday we'll have our uh, Hanukkah music specials here during JM and the AM. Wednesday, Thursday, our broadcasts from Paris, the event in Paris in the Great Synagogue. It seems that nary a seat remains. That's been the reaction of the community, which is amazing. And Malcolm, I'd like your comment on this, uh, especially when I was there last week. It seemed that people were resigned to the fact in, in a duplicate fashion to what's happening in Brussels and other areas to just stay in their homes and not go out, Jew and non-Jew alike, in Paris. It's encouraging that it looks like the holiday of Hanukkah is going to encourage some people to come out and celebrate a little bit. Well, French Jews are uh, have been courageous throughout. It is true that the restaurants have suffered, businesses have suffered, whether in Israel, whether in Paris, wherever. Uh, I think here in New York, people are more reluctant, and you hear parents afraid of them sending kids alone to the schools, worried about all sorts of the dangers that um, but but you can't give in to it and going there and first of all, I give you really a big yashikai for doing this. I think it's the act of solidarity is very important. Thank it you. sends the message people care, they do appreciate it. And uh, it'll be interesting to hear you broadcast in French next week <laughs> and, to, <laughs> and to sing us a few songs from there. Um, You're such a world traveler. Listen to your but, accent. But <laughs> je peux parler en français. You don't know. And you're worried about the restaurants? I'm going. There'll be plenty of, uh, plenty of no, food. Next week there'll be a big boost, I know, but uh, <laughs> we're talking about normally. But I, I will tell you something. You have to, again, to, to, to look at the good news that Argentina elected a president throughout the... Uh, the uh, the Kirshners finally and and this guy is has promised to, to abrogate the agreement with Tehran, uh, which you know covered up the bombing of the Amia and no. the investigation. I, I hope he with, I uh, hope he has a good security force. You, well, he's still not in office yet, yeah. but he already made the statement that that. Hope that he makes it to the inauguration. Renew the, in the, in the investigation, and that uh, he was a mayor of Buenos Aires, and the Jewish community knows him. Uh, this was a, a major... Uh, you know what uh, happens to people in the public eye there who don't support uh, terrorists? You know what happens? No. You don't? Oh, yes, I do know yeah. exactly what happens. That's what I'm and saying. We, in fact, we just had a film opening this week on the story of Alberto, Alberto Nisman, the prosecutor. Yeah. He was murdered. And, uh, who was murdered, and when you see this, it really is very scary to see the full story and the involvement and the alleged involvement of the highest level of government in his murder. Um you know, you know, really it's Erev Hanukkah. It's Erev Hanukkah. And I noticed, and there's a million things on this list, and you have things, and you wanted to talk about the Iran deal. But if you're on the point of good news already, and we're trying to celebrate and come together, Malcolm, I'm sure you are aware of the fact, and you always bring these things to our attention, so I'm so excited to, to bring it up first here today. The seal, the bula, 
that was discovered right near the Temple Mount says on it, L'chizkiyahu ben Achaz Melech Yudah, the son of Achaz, king of Judea. What does this tell us, this discovery this week before Hanukkah about the history of our people? Actually, it's so exciting. And I, I mentioned to people, you know, they either don't know or they didn't look. It's, if, if we need anything to see that God is sending us messages all the time, I discussed the, the finding of the Accra Fortress. They found it because of this coin, I'm told, that, that uh, finding it in a certain location told them to look there for the, the base of the fortress. And here you have the discovery by Dr. Mazar, was the one who announced it, uh, and it says it belonged to Chizkiyahu, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, just like it's the Chizkiyahu that is in, um, in Malachim Beis and Kings 2, in Isaiah, in, in Chronicles 2. He's a direct descendant of David HaMelech, of King David, and it's the first uh, seal impression of an Israelite or Judean king ever discovered in an archaeological excavation. Wow. This this seal is 2,700 years old, wow. and it was in the Ophel excavation. This is um, the court or the quarter of the government built during the time of Shlomo Melech, King Solomon. It's in the area that connects the city of David, and you know this, to the Temple Mount, where right. there is amazing excavations. It, it was so exciting that President Rivlin went to the city of David and to see this seal firsthand. And people who appreciate it, you don't have to be an archaeologist to understand what the significance coming and revealing at Erev Hanukkah to, to tell us all that with all the problems that we discussed, this is the real message. We're going to survive and we'll be there when all these other guys have been written off in the dustbin of history. 100%. And what a great message that is for this time of year. Just incredible. All right. Uh, so many things to discuss. The um, Netanyahu goes to Europe. It seems he has some type of... Um, I don't know, handshake, formality, with both the leader of Egypt, the king of Jordan, and with Mahmoud Abbas. Am I right that there was actually some type of exchange between him and the president of the PA? Very limited, more pro forma. Um, you know, this is uh, all these meetings take place on the sidelines of the conference, the climate conference. They were important, and it was important to see how many foreign leaders, whether India and the Korea, as others, lined up to, to meet the, the prime minister, to talk to him. Uh, so when all of those who talk about the isolation of Israel, you should have seen the, his uh, dance card. Um, Interesting. But, but the the meeting with uh, Abbas was not a productive one. It was just a pro forma one. Yeah, understood. I didn't even think the pro forma ones take place between the two of them, but <laughs> I don't know. Well, they, they actually crossed or something, and I guess uh, maybe Kerry others encouraged them at least to... to shake hands. Now, now does what happens, and I, again, it's, it's, you know... I, I'm sure most of these are secretive, and it's, it's difficult to be an armchair or a general, but does Israel communicate these messages to the United States and others, especially those who are involved now in military activity in Syria, that really Iran is the address and the place that's got to be, uh, I mean, I guess I could say attacked, but at the minimum, with the Iran deal and the status that it is, at the minimum to cut off the economic ties, to encourage companies in Europe not to do business with them. I mean, I don't even know at this point after the deal's been signed, and you wanted to mention something about the deal, I don't even know now now that the agreement is there if, if a country could make a recommendation like that to the U.S. and others. Well, Israel certainly does, and it keeps pressing this message. Israeli military leaders and others uh, have been communicating on a regular basis to keep the focus on Iran. 
but we see how Iran is expanding its, its foothold in Syria, uh, the presence, more troops, etc., the, um, and the development this week, both with the, develop, the sending finally of the S-300 to Iran by, by Russia, which tells you that the Russians are sending a message, but also the restrictions are, are dropping. We're hearing of new loans, new deals that are being made. Uh, the Iranians, in the, the decision this week where there is no clear-cut finding by the International Atomic Energy Agency and where the whole issue of past military developments what you see in the press, PMDs, means that what we have to know where Iran was up to, what was their full capacity, in order to use it as a baseline to measure what they have done. How are you going to know and say, well, they've made more advances, have they done additional things, if you don't know where they were up to? So right. the IA investigators did what they could, but they were restricted. They say they were restricted, and Iran gets away with it. And now we're talking about moving on to the next stage, and government spokesmen, including American spokesmen, say, well, they, they are in basically in compliance and that, uh, they, that, that it's, as we said, they stopped in 2003. That's not what the report reports as 2009. But we said, if you don't give us PMD, we can't move ahead. We're not going to get it. And, and they keep, um, you know, denying the, the demands, and, and we keep dropping the standards by which we, to which we hold them. So Iran now, the next stage will, will be in a couple weeks where we will find out if they get to, I forgot what they call that day, not graduation day, but something, you know, where they, they uh, fulfillment day, compliance day. They have all these terms in, in the deal. Uh, uh, but the fact is that we don't know, the, we don't have the information that we were supposed to have. I don't think we have it about Parchin. I don't think we have it in other regards. And they they will continue to to put in restrictions and violations. And, and as somebody said this week, what they will do is they won't do major things. They're not going to do something so blatant, although they did with the missile and still till today have not paid any price for it. And we continue to press on that issue because it's a violation of other resolutions of the Security Council as well. But they will do small things, and everybody will say it's not worth going to war over that. It's not worth abrogating the agreement over that. And do it repeatedly until, you know, it's cumulative. We so they will accomplish the end and, and not pay a price. We assume they'll regard fulfillment dates the same way they've regarded deadlines until this point, right? Oh, of course. And, and, and they have one goal, and that is getting the money. Yeah. Because they got a lot of terrorists to support. They have a lot of the domestic needs, but you, you can't be sure anything will go to that. And uh, the IRGC, which controls a third of the economy, the Khamenei and his family have $100 billion uh, in, in interest. You know, they need the, the influx because they have big appetites. And maybe it's unfair to blame them because obviously that, I mean, they didn't spearhead this deal. The U.S. did. But uh, Putin and Russia, you know, they, they keep Iran in business, provide for them what they need. They love the fact, as you've described many times, that they are you know, able to engage in these sales and have uh, you know, Iran throw a lot of money his way. But again, as long as, as long as nobody feels the need to pressure him. Someone said to me yesterday, they said, ah, you go to, you go to France, tell Holland, tell Holland not to, um, uh, not to dance with Putin. I mean, now I understand what they mean. They mean that, you know, that the European leaders should take a stronger role against, uh, against Russia and encourage them not to do business with Iran. But, but what do you want at this point? The whole world has basically capitulated and is, is ready to do business with Iran. Well, Putin... Uh, sides with Iran against the removal of Assad, and uh, he 
has seized these great opportunities to make money like everyone else. They're, they're, they made a big loan uh, over the recent period, even though his economy is, is tanking, um, to get into the energy sector of Iran. And Iran is paying for a lot of the military purchases in Syria. So this big influxes, and there are huge two flights a day coming from Russia with new weapons uh, uh, coming there. Putin takes advantage of the weakness in the West. Now you had a big... Uh, uh, glitch in, in, I'm sure, what all of them anticipated with the uh, Turkish incident, right. where Turkey shot down this plane. Now, w- we all have been complaining about Turkey. No one would have predicted this incident. Right. Uh, so it's, it is, uh, in a sense, a game changer, but it drives Russia more with Iran, and they're going to do stuff against Turkey, and they've been bombing the Turkmen forces, and you have the Americans flying, you have the Russians flying, you have Israel, you have others. You know, this is a, a how much stronger can, to a problem. How much stronger can the Russian-Iranian alliance become? So that's a very good question because Iran still has to look at Russia like you know, like a lot of the Arabs do. It's still a godless communist country, and there's been traditionally, you know, a, yeah, a tough partner. Them, but they're driven together by common interests, and that's what makes the best, the, the closest alliances in mm-hmm. politics is a common enemy, a common uh, uh, interest, economic, military, etc. And Russia is expanding space. They just signed a, a, a billions and billions of dollars deal with Egypt, and they are providing the loans. This is Russia, the loans to Egypt to pay for it, maybe seven, eight billion dollars or more. And A, it's a message that this should have been a U.S. military sale, be that the Russians are looking to expand their footprint and now have found the opportunity, not only with the bases I mentioned in Syria, but now having a relations in, in the Gulf and in the biggest Arab country in Egypt, mm. which always has been buying American weapons. I don't know why. They're certainly inferior to American weapons, but they're, they're angry. They think the United States delays in the delivery and held up the helicopters for a long time when they felt they needed them. And... and um, and Putin can can point to all of these things as a success of his policy, and that he's sticking it to the United States mm-hmm. at the same time, which is something he is uh, happy to do. What a balancing act, you know. When, when at the root of things, you really should be enemies, but you have, as you say, politically, you know, these common enemies which bring you closer. But you always looking over your shoulder. Someone once said that you know politics may strange bedfellow. Right. You know that in Yemen, it was revealed this week that the Saudis are sending Sudanese troops, hundreds of them, that the UAE sent 450 people from El Salvador, Chile, Colombia to fight there, that there are 1,800 of them training in a base in the UAE, uh, United Arab Emirates. Who would have thought, (laughs) here you go and recruit people from Panama, Colombia, these countries, come to train in UAE and are sent to fight a battle against against the Houthis, which is a battle against Iran, you see that everything is globalized. So when people say, "Give it," you know, can you explain this? And you, if you don't give them all of the background, if you don't follow this, you know, and see, and I, I don't know it all. I certainly try to follow as much as I can, but it, it's all so complicated, and everything has another leg and another uh, linkage that is, uh, you know, is makes it so hard to answer, answer in simple terms about what each what is the significance of each of these developments. Hey, what do you think of Donald Trump's comments about Israel's role in the peace process? Well, as I read it, I did not hear it. Uh, uh, it it's outrageous. Wow. I mean, to say that Israel has to make more concessions, yeah. 
you know, he's given the colorful language. I think a lot of the stuff is, uh, you know, it's just him, and he just speaks without thinking, and where it says if he's thinking, then it's more dangerous. But, um, <laughs> you know, wow. as he said, he's going to be great for Israel. He uh, certainly has family ties. He has a history of, of being involved in Jewish, uh, getting awards from Jewish organizations, being there. But, you know, when you reflect a, a lack of knowledge, not saying at least the mouthing the words about United Jerusalem, but saying I'm going to check with BB, which is fine, but, you know, it's not what the audience wanted to hear. We also we made a, big, a couple of last things. We made a big deal this week, uh, rightfully so, about the Chevron Fund and their their 24-hour fundraising effort. One of the reasons, of course, is their tourism industry, understandably so, has been hit so hard. Do you hear much about the Israeli tourism industry in November, December being hit very hard? I don't know, for some reason, I'm not at least catching that in the headlines. It has been hit. It is, and and the the problem is that with in tourism is that once people have bought tickets and have planned, they usually go ahead. Right. The problem is now they're planning for the spring vacations, right. and that's where where the hit is. And it's also businesses in Israel have been hit very hard. Businesses in areas like Mamila, for instance, are down more than fifty percent. And you will start seeing stores close. You will see that the the impact is very great. So people have an opportunity buy things from Israeli companies. Purchase from going to Israeli stores uh, when you're visiting. Spend a few bucks more. They really need it. It's it's uh, in Tel Aviv too. Business is yeah. down sharply, and uh, hotels tend not to have been impacted quite as much, but they're all down. Uh, and this is you know a slow season normally. Right, uh, but now it's building up. I mean, end of December, January break. I mean, that, that, that's that's, building, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And I know. People, some people have canceled. By and large, people are not, and that's really critical. Your thoughts on the passing of one-time National Security Advisor Sandy Berger? Well, I think people remember him now best for for having smuggled those documents out in his underwear. Right. I, I obviously worked with him when he was National Security Advisor. We had many areas of disagreement, um, but obviously we sent condolences to his family and to... You know, I've seen him in the interim at the meetings and uh, occasions. Uh, so he certainly made an impact, right? Whether you agree with him or not. Yes, he did. He made right. an impact, and he was a key player. I mean, he was uh, he with Madeleine Albright were the team that really advised the president. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, all right, I just wanted to mention that both on the on my profile and on the Nahum Siegel Network profile, we have shared Mayor Weingarten's uh, photo and analysis of the Bula from Israel. So if you want to see what Malcolm was referring to, 2,700 years old, a perfect thing to discuss with your children at the Shabbos table on Erev Hanukkah, uh, then you will see that there uh, on Facebook. Uh, Malcolm, next week uh, I will give you my report from uh, Paris, please God, and uh, I thank you for all your enthusiasm. Jewish leadership in general has been unbelievably enthusiastic about this. Uh, The message is simplistic. The message is one that... uh, I know you're a big believer in when Jews in uh, in this world at any in any place are in challenging situations. Uh, there are other Jews who care, and that's what we're demonstrating. So I thank you for that. Have a wonderful. I know how much they appreciate it because I've heard it from them. I thank you for that. And uh, tomorrow night in Brooklyn, New York, at remind me at at Beth Toran. Beth Toran. Um, and if they're in Miami on Tuesday night, and uh, next Sunday in California, and. And tell everybody at Bet Torah that if they listen here every Friday, there's no need for them to go to your speeches. (laughs) (laughs) 
you're ruining my business. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you know, I'm lying. I'm just kidding around. <laughs> Have a wonderful Shabbos and a Freilich and Hanukkah. There he is, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations.